If you go to London, England, there's a, an interesting place called Hyde Park. Um, Hyde Park is, uh, is a large, beautiful uh, park with open grasses and trees and just lovely, lovely place, benches, uh, walkways all over the place, a big pond. But Hyde Park is not known just for its greenery. Hyde Park is actually known for its debate. You see, in Hyde Park for years, like back into the 1800s, there's, a, there, there's a, an area in Hyde Park called Speaker's Corner. And various individuals who uh, literally, and you'll use this phrase, have soapboxes, um, will come into that park to preach. Some of them will bring little stools. Others will literally bring wooden soapboxes to stand on. And they'll, they'll stand up and they'll start to go off about the topics that they are, are very passionate about and want to convert the listeners to believe in. And, and you'll have everyone. You'll, you'll have over here, you'll have an atheist who wants to com- convince everyone around the place that God is dead. O- over there, you'll have an a, a, a imam from Islam, and he will try to convert you to Islam. Uh, over there is a person who's, who's against abortion, and they will stand up and go on about abortion and, and, and how terrible it is. And, and, and if you go around Speaker's Corner, you'll find different people, and different people will be drawn to listen to different speakers. Their goal is to convert you. Their goal is to, uh, to persuade you into their thoughts and into their belief so that you become one of their followers. Now, if you've been following us um, in these last months, we've gone, I think by the time we're done, we'll have spent 28 weeks looking at the person of Peter. Uh, we started by looking at the Gospels and, and, and Peter's calling out of, out of John chapter 1. And, and, and then we started following Peter as he followed Jesus through Galilee for those three years. We, we, we came with him to, to the cross and we came to him to the empty tomb and we came to him in the upper room and we came to him at Pentecost and then he started to lead this, this newborn creation called the Church of Jesus Christ. Then we jumped over to First and Second Peter and we're now in the last chapter of Second Peter. 28 weeks and it's been rather rich. Now, when he starts 2 Peter, Peter actually will say in this chapter, this is his second letter. Um, He he had written the first letter to disciple people about about who they were and their identity and all of those things. And and then after the letter was complete, it's like some other things have come up and I I need to talk to you about them. In in chapter 1, he talks about salvation again, about growing in your faith And then he ends with this incredible truth that you and I are to be people who understand that this Bible comes because God has inspired it. 
He chose prophets. He chose men to write down the scriptures inspired and led by the Holy Spirit using their own style and their own format to, to, to speak words of truth that will literally not only settle into our minds but into our very souls and our very spirit. In chapter 2, he contrasts that with people entering the church. Bad people. False teachers. Who, who were coming in with ulterior motives to draw the, the lambs of God away from the truth of Jesus Christ. To deceive them and to, to use them for their own greed and their own advance. Now, now we get to chapter 3. Very last chapter 3. And as you, as you and I will visit it, it will talk about the end times. The, the last days. And a special event that you and I will call the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, as I sat down and started to prepare this, this sermon for you, I, I started to realize, although I wanted to do it in one week, there's just too much. Peter is an incredibly intense writer. And as, as we get to this last chapter, he wants to leave you and I with two significant applications. He wants to leave a message for the future of these false teachers. And today I want to take some time to talk about that, but he also brings up an issue that maybe you and I are even asking ourselves today. And then he's going to go on, and next week we're going to revisit this and come back again and, and look at this final message that Peter leaves us before he dies. Because we know historically, shortly after this time, Nero will explode, explode as he has burnt Rome. His dream is to re reshape it and, and re rebuild it in his own image. But when he burnt it, he didn't realize the incredible political reaction. And so he needed scapegoats. He needed someone to blame. And he decided to blame the Christians. Following this would become the most, the first incredible persecution that the Christian church would experience. They, they had had little bonfires of persecution by the Jews, but now it would be the Romans. Now it would start in Rome and it would, it would burn out into the very regions of the Roman Empire. Colosseums would be built and, 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 and set and Christians would have lions turned on them or they'd be tied to stakes and burned to death and all kinds of horrors would take place. And in the midst of that, the Apostle Paul would be beheaded as a martyr and Peter would die on a cross like his Lord. So these last words are critical. As I started to put this together, I started to realize that Peter has a concern about these individuals, these, 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 these false teachers that are sneaking into the congregation to mislead. And as we talked about last week, the reality is those mockers, those scoffers, those revilers are in the church even today. They're coming in to try to mislead you as a believer, you as a, as a flock. It, it, it uses this word scoffers, which is an interesting word. 
he, 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 he actually brings them in and he says, they start to laugh at, 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 at who you are and what you believe and what you're hoping for and the promise of Jesus' return. Now next week I want to get into it deeper. But from the very beginning, you will find again and again, Jesus predicted not only his death, but also his ascension and then his return. And, and Christians are to live in this anticipation and expectation of his return. But the scoffers were walking in and saying, I, I, I thought you were waiting for Jesus to come back. Like, where is he? How come he hasn't come? Maybe you're wrong. And, and he, says, he says, these scoffers will laugh at you and, 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 and really their, their goal is to gain you to become one of their followers. The strategy is simple. If this isn't true, maybe there's other things that the apostles have been teaching you that aren't true. And, and, and maybe you're being deceived and, 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 and led astray. And, and so you've got to start to listen to us and you've got to start to follow us and we know what's going on. I, I talked about various types of beliefs that they had. One of them was a group called the Gnostics who would say, I, I have special insight. I, I have special revelation from God. And if you follow me, if you come with me, I will teach you that insight. I will teach you that revelation. And you will know things that no other believer will know. And the goal is to draw them out. But the first is to start to, you to question. Have you ever been questioned about your faith? How do you know there's really a God? How do you know the Bible is truly God's word? Is Jesus somebody that historically is a fictitious person or was he a real person? And the questions, the mocking and the revelry goes on. Now, as these false teachers are looking at the, these young Christians, they're, they're, they're trying to suggest an idea as Cheryl read it this morning, I don't know if you picked it up, but, but the, the, the thing that they're trying to communicate is that, that things don't change. Actually, this has become an academic teaching that, that, that even has permeated our society. Now, here's two academic terms. I'll show them to you, and you can forget them as fast as you get them because they're just academic. One is called uniformitarianism. Isn't that a great word? And the second is catastrophicism, which basically this is what they believe. The uniformitarianism believe that things don't just change. You know, people are born, they grow up, they have children, they get old, they die, and then people are born, and, 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 and things just don't, there's no, everything's kind of, the, you know, there's rumors of war, and there's a little, this upset, but things don't actually change very much. The way it was from the beginning will always be how it is today. The, the, the second view is catastrophicism, and that's, that's an idea that, that in history, there are certain events that break in and will change the world. Change history. Change how you and I live or see our world or see our universe or see our eternity. And they're suggesting to these young believers that you guys kind of had been told that this 
Jesus has broken into history and everything has changed. And we want to tell you that's wrong. That's not true. Things will go on as they go on, as they go on, as they go on. Some will come into control. Some will come into leadership. Some nations will rise. Some nations will fall. And, and that's just the way it is. This is a picture of the Grand Canyon. When archaeologists start and ge geography people started to look at it, they started to talk about this river, this uh, going through it, being the cause of all of this event. They, they, they believed in uniformitarianism. In fact, if you read Darwin's writings, you will see Darwin was a believer in this belief. He thinks that things change incrementally in very small, minute ways, and eventually they may change, but it's so slow over such a period of time that you won't even notice it. And, and the suggestion of this Grand Canyon is this river started going through it and eventually got it, cut it away and cut it away and cut it away and cut it away. But actually, most geologists don't believe that anymore. They believe a catastrophe happened, that the, the, the plates of earth shook for some reason and changed, and an incredible divide took place. Now, if you've ever been there, it's an awe-inspiring sight. Peter says this, where is this coming, he promised? He, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation. So they're saying, look at folks, Nothing changes. You need to come and follow us because we think you've been caused to walk astray. Anyone ever said that to you? Well, I know you Christians believe that. I, I, I know that, well, someone taught you this, but it's really not true. This is the way the world is. And Peter wants to speak to this. He wants to say, he wants to say, I understand the question you're being asked. Where's Jesus? How come he hasn't returned? That's, that's, the, that's the in they use to start you believing, well, maybe I was mistaken. Maybe I was wrong. Now, for you, that question may be different. Where, where's God? How, how come we can't see him? How, how come we don't hear his voice? How, how come we don't see miracles today? Or, and you'll hear that kind of thing. What questions are they asking you? So Peter looks at this and he starts to respond by saying, I want you to remember something. I want you to take and I want you to think back to, to when the world was made. And he takes us all the way back to creation. Now, we have several people in our congregation that love creationism and the teaching of Genesis and all of that. And, and if you ask them a question, they're going to say this to you, that revelations and Genesis are a pair. That, 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 that as you study Genesis, you'll also see foreshadowing of revelations and, and vice versa. So, so what Peter does is with this in mind, goes all the way back to Genesis and says, do you remember when the world was created? Do you, do you remember Revelation, or Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and how God explains each day and what he created? Do you remember how it starts? The Bible says God took water 
and he divided it. He deliberately, and, and, and these people have deliberately forgotten that event. That God took water and, and some of that water went into the air and became what we call the sky and others became what we call the oceans or the seas. And, he, and, and then out of that, those seas came land and you follow the, the journey. Peter says, I want, you, I want to take you all the way back to that event because it's significant for you to remember that event. These, these, these false teachers are saying nothing changes. Watch. And then he takes us to, to an event. He says, he says, the earth was formed out of water and by water. Just said that. And then he says this, by these water also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. And this is fascinating. If you go a little bit deeper into this, this is what Peter's saying. He's saying God created the world and he divided the waters and out of what he created, that water, he would eventually bring and use it for judgment. If you go to chapter 6 and following, you'll see an incredible flood coming. As man moved away from God and rejected God and fell into sin and fell into false teaching and fell into narcissism, the world was all about them and their pleasures and what they could get and all of that, similar to our world. And God came down and said, enough, and judgment came. Out of that came Noah and his family saved through that, that ark. But Peter wants you to remember there was a catastrophe there was a traumatic event that literally changed our world. Things haven't always been the same. And that world, the world we live in has absolutely been changed. Now, we could, we could spend hours going into this and, and talk about how the continents moved and, and where the water came from, up, up, up from the deep. And, and, and we could talk the shifting and all. And literally, the world was changed through a catastrophe. But here's the point. God took what he had made and used it for judgment. Then Peter jumps over. And he jumps over to verse 7. He says, by the same words, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept to the days of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And so he says, they, they, they've forgotten, these, these scoffers, they have deliberately forgotten the original judgment under Noah. And they have forgotten a second judgment is soon to come. Now, some of you haven't studied Revelations very much. Some of you really love Revelations. And let me kind of put a chart together for you in, in, in a sense. We are living in what is called right now the church age. There, there's a period of time when Jesus came and Jesus lived and Jesus died on the cross and ascended. And then a church, the church started and the church started to move. It started in Jerusalem and then it moved into the world and it became both a Jewish and a Gentile church and, and they spread throughout the world. And that's the period of time we're living in. If you go to Daniel and you read Daniel, Daniel will talk about there's eventually a time when that church age will end. Now, different people have a, read, a, a different read slightly on, on what that means, but as you go to Matthew chapter 24, 
as that church and age ends, there's all kinds of things that start to take place. Signs, or, or probably better, seasons that, that, that we suddenly start to become aware of. Jesus says you'll never know the day and the hour of his return. But he does say that, that you will start to recognize the season. He says there, there, will be, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Have you noticed some of that a little bit? There will be, be times when there will be false Christs that is rising or false prophets starting to rise up. And, and I could take you throughout history to show you these false people that keep run, standing up and saying, well, I'm the Christ or I, I, I have Christ in me. And you'll, you'll find different things uh, absolutely to the point of bizarre. There, there, are, there are times when you will see the, the church and their hearts becoming cold. In fact, if you look at North America and Europe, we're in a season of cold. Many have left the church. We were st- both the United States and Canada were started on the foundation of biblical scripture. If you've been watching the news at all lately, there is a moving away from that. In fact, there is a move toward starting to persecute the church, to, to, to reject what the church stands for and the church believes and, and its value and importance in our society. There will be famines and there will be earthquakes. Uh, we, we will see tsunamis and all kinds of things starting to happen in our world. And in fact, if you've watched the news at all, there's these talks in this next year or two being moving intensely into famine. And the church will grow under its persecution. But what's most common throughout all of the writings of Scripture, is that sin, sin will become rampant. Man will return to the days of Noah. They will do what they want, no matter who is hurt and, and, and how vile and repulsive their sin is. I don't know if you've noticed in the last five to ten years how suddenly that which was unacceptable in our culture has suddenly become praised in our culture. And, and so the recognition is that there will be signs that you and I start to recognize we're in that last day season. Now Daniel tells us that, that, that there's probably going to come, if you hold to a literal interpretation, a, a period of seven years called the tribulation. It has several different names to it. It's divided literally in half. And there's different discussions of, of, of a, an event called the rapture. The rapture is when Christ says, I will come and take my church unto itself. So literally the believers will be taken out of this world. Some believe it's at the beginning of this tribulation. Others believe it's at the end. Some believe it's in the middle of this tribulation. But, but something is going to happen that will separate the, ch- the church or the believers from this time. Things will get worse and worse in this tribulation. And if you read Revelation at all, you'll see the horrors of what's going to happen in this world. This world will literally be shaken to its very core and then Jesus will come. He will gather his church, um, to come with his church, and, and he will come to judge the world in a place, an event called Armageddon. You may have heard of that name. Those who are not believers will be held aside and set aside for a season of judgment. The, the, the church will come, and, and for a thousand years, called a millennium, they will reign with Christ reigning on this earth. And then... This earth that you and I live in 
will be burned up, destroyed. And he will make a new heaven and a new earth. Now this is extensively taught in scripture. But Peter is writing about the destruction of this earth. I don't know if you remember Cheryl reading these words. Let me read it in a different translation. But in the day of the Lord will come like a thief, otherwise unexpected. The heavens will disappear with a roar. Can you imagine all of the solar system being gone? It's interesting if you talk to those even who are non-Christians because there's this whole thing about what they call the Big Bang, that, that something started our universe. But as you listen to them talk, they'll say, our universe is going bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it's going to go back to where it was. It will disappear. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The day of God and the spread is coming and, and, and speed it's coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt the, will be melted in the, in the heat. What's Peter talking about? Just as the world was destroyed by water, out of the element God took water and destroyed mankind a second judgment will come. To all this world and this earth and everything we have in this earth, it will be gone. I was, I was listening to one, one, one uh, teacher talk about this, and he says, have you ever thought how God will, will use fire to destroy this world? And he started naming off things. He says, we look into our solar system, and we start to see our stars. We know those stars are bigger, many of them, than our sun with incredible heat. But he says, have you ever considered how much heat is in just our sun? Now, he, he wrote this down. I don't even know how they find these things out. But he says, between ten, it, the sun itself on, on its surface is between 10 to 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. He says, if you go to the very core of the sun, it's 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. Incredibly hot. He says, he says, but not only is it hot, our earth is hot. Do you, do you know that at the very core of our earth is molten? It, 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 there's incredible heat there. And, and the suggestion is that the very center of our planet, is, it's 12,400 degrees Fahrenheit. And in fact, it comes out and other than a 10-mile core or crust, that heat is there. All the Lord has to do is break those two apart, the sun and the earth, and it will all be burnt up. And now, we could go through Isaiah and Micah and Amos. I, I could repeat this, 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 this prophecy of judgment coming. But what, what's, what's, what's his point? What's he, what's he trying to communicate? It says, these people are running up to you and saying, Jesus isn't coming, and the reason we know he's not coming is things don't change. He says, things change. Peter says, things change back then. Our whole, our whole world's changed. Our world will be changed again. He will destroy what you and I live in, and he will create a better and more wonderful new heaven and new earth. But this place will be burnt up with fire. And all the scoffers and all the mockers and all the, those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and will fall under his judgment. 
Now we could go further. We could talk about what's called the lake of fire and other things. But Peter is, is looking at these people and says, you've got to understand. You've got to understand that there are events that God has laid out in time. And in his perfect time and in his perfect way, he will bring them to completion. Just as he brought Noah's flood, he will bring the judgment on, on this world for its incredible sin. Now, this is a truth we believe. But here comes the question again. So, how come Jesus hasn't returned? Now, some of you have noticed that Pastor Paul has turned a little bit into a prophecy fanatic. I don't know what I am. But I've been fascinated the last number of years on that. We've done several book studies. We've done Daniel. We've done Revelation. We've done other studies to look at what the Bible says about the end times. Now, it's, it's huge in Scripture. There are over 18,800 verses and, and passages related to the end times prophetically. One in 30 verses relate to that. When, when, Jesus, when, when the Bible talks about Jesus' first coming, for every one verse, there's eight verses of the second coming. This is something Scripture focuses on all the time. And, 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 the, and we'll talk about this more specifically next week. But the, the, the emphasis for you and I is not to know the day and the hour. We can know the season. We can be prepared. But we won't know exactly when it'll happen. But we'll know it's close. And therefore, as Peter says, as we get into next week, we need to be prepared. Are you prepared? But here's the tension. Over the centuries, Christians have said, I'm pretty sure it's now. If you had lived in the Middle Ages and saw the Black Plague and all of that stuff, it's like, this has got to be it. If, if you had lived during World War II and seen Hitler come to power, and, and you would have said, oh, this is it. That's got to be the Antichrist. And, 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 and look what he's doing to the Jews. But neither of those times were his return. My father entered the ministry in the 19, early 1950s. I don't know what, if you know about this, 1948. An astounding event happened as Israel became a nation again. For 2,000 years, Israel had no, no, no land of its own. They had been scattered throughout the whole known world. In fact, it's amazing where they've been scattered to. But after World War II, they started to come back. And in 1948, Israel became a nation again. And the world of Christianity shouted, oh, look at that. We've got to be near the end times. But 1948 was a little while ago for us. My dad expected the Lord to come at any moment. Yet he did a full ministry and now is with the Lord in heaven. If you're watching the signs even today, and I'll talk about those tomorrow, next week a little bit more specifically, it, it's like they've, it's got to be close. It's got to be close. But here's the question. How come he hasn't come already? Because there's, there's God's promise, and, and then there's my perception. It's like, but, but I see all these signs. How come he hasn't returned? 
This is the same question this early church struggled with. They saw this persecution rising and, 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 and the world turning against the church and they thought, this is a sign. So here's the question. Why hasn't he come today yet? Now Peter then quotes a verse and all of you have heard this verse. It's quoted all over the place in all kinds of situations and all kinds of lines. But this is where we find it. It's in Peter chapter 3 verse 8. In this verse he says this, but beloved... Be not important of, ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Now, if you've done the math, it's, almost, it's over two, almost 2,000 years ago Christ walked on this earth. And it's like, Lord, how come you haven't come yet? Now, I looked at this different ways. I looked at this humorously. It, it's like, so one day is equal to a thousand years. A thousand years is equal to one day. And the Lord looks at you and I when we ask the question, says, what are you guys talking about? I've only been gone two days. Well, maybe not. But he looks at you and I and he says to you and I, you don't understand time the way I understand time. You're impatient. You want him to come. You want, the, you want to leave an attorney. I understand all of that, he'd say. But you have to understand why I haven't come yet. That leads to one of the key verses in this chapter. Listen to these words. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Otherwise, understand he will keep his promise. He's not dragging his feet. He's not putting it off. He's not procrastinating. He's not slow to keep it. As some understand slowness. But he is patient with you. Listen to these words. They're amazing. Not wanting anyone to perish for everyone to come to repentance. For everyone to come to salvation. You know, for us who've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's an impatience that rises in us. It's like, Lord, would you please come? I want to go to heaven. I want to be in the millennium. And, and we, we can just add up all these various things about what, what it's going to be like. And imagine as we read the scriptures, the incredible wonder of it. Lamb lays with a lion and all of those kind of things. Actually, it's lamb with a wolf, but that's another story. Why hasn't he come? Because there are people that you love and I love who have yet to come to know him. In your heart and mind, can you think of someone who has known about Jesus Christ? They may even know the plan of salvation, but they've not made the decision. It may be a son or a daughter. It may be a husband or a wife. It may be your parents. It may be your coworker, brothers or sisters. It may be someone you care deeply about. And, and, and you're caught in this tension saying, Lord, I want you to come so bad, but they need to be saved. And the Lord says, amen. They need to be saved. 
And I am giving them the time. I am patiently waiting for them, inviting them, wooing them, working through my spirit in their heart and life, inviting them to that moment of decision. Because if they don't make it, the result is fire. The result is judgment for eternity. It's interesting, there was a season in the Christian church when lots of sermons were about hell. You'd hear phrases like, do you have your fire insurance? Talking about, you have your salvation, so you're not going to that place. Don't hear much about that anymore. You hear about love, and love is good. But judgment is also important to know. So I would invite you to hear Peter today. I would invite you to realize that although there's this longing in you and I to be with the Lord, to to experience all of these things that he has promised us, that he's holding off for now so that those we love can be saved. That leads to the question, how will they hear? They can only hear through you and I. Have you had the conversation that you need to? Have you done the invitation you need to? Now, if you've been with me at all, you'll know I have a phrase I use lots. You can't save anybody. You can't not do that. But you can invite them to salvation. You can help them understand their need. You can understand the, 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 the tension of the timing. The, the, the time is running out. You can invite them to make the choice, but they have to make that. But many people will tell me, yeah, I haven't said anything. I don't know how to say anything. I'd invite you to speak. That's what Peter's saying. There's coming a judgment, and those who have defied God, defied his word, defied his church, will come under judgment. But he says, there are so so many of them, I'm waiting. Inviting them, inviting them, inviting them to come before time runs out. Later in that chapter, he will say these words. Bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. Isn't that an amazing statement? The Lord's patience means salvation. Some of you are saying, I don't know how to to speak to them. I've asked them. I've talked to them. I've invited them. They've pushed me off. In fact, someone don't want anything to do with me now. What do I do? Use the most powerful force in this universe. It's called prayer. I would invite you to this day take a list and say, I'm going to pray for these people every day until either they're saved or Jesus comes back. For the Lord is patient and the Lord invites and the Lord woos in miraculous ways. I can tell you story after story of people who've been prayed for and in dramatic ways they've been saved. In Iran, and you know the whole tension in the world with Iran, in Iran, the largest growing church is of women 
who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You ask most of them how that introduction began, and they will say through dreams and visions. The Lord is not finished yet. There are many to be saved. But Peter says the time is running out. For God is love, but God is also truth and judgment. And we need to live in that tension. This has not been an easy sermon for me to talk to you about. I don't like talking about some of the negatives, but that's the balance we have to always keep. Next week, we're going to go a little bit deeper because Peter twines it together with also your expectation of those, that last days, your, your anticipation of his return and what you need to do in your life before that moment comes. Would you bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, this is really a simple message that, that in, a, in, a, in a world that seeks to draw people away from truth, you have your church and they will stand on the truth and in love invite others into your kingdom. Lord, give us insight of how to pray. Give us opportunity of how to invite. Let us, let us have, have times of incredible salvation as, as, as children and loved ones and friends and, and even our neighbors come into your kingdom because you have called and they have heard and their whole eternity has been changed. I would ask this in Jesus' name.